What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I have Pat Johnson, who's an infinite banking expert, and we're going to figure out what that means. So, Pat, welcome to the show, dude. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Grateful to be here. Well, you know, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I like to come into these interviews under, you know, not prepared. I didn't, I I first heard about infinite banking. I was like, this is something I'm not going to Google because I really, I don't, I want to understand this from your point of view, from your perspective. And then afterwards I'll dive into it. So the people want to know what is infinite banking and how did you get involved in this? Uh, okay, so a couple big questions. Uh, thanks again for having me here today. Infinite banking is a concept. First and foremost, it's a concept. It's not a product or service. It is a concept about cash flow, mm-hmm. and it is a concept about how to leverage that cash for our benefit and maybe more benefit than we uh, are used to having with certain amounts of cash. So that's sort of paramount. Okay. Um, and then how I got to this was nothing less than divine intervention, frankly. it um, I have a background as a public school teacher, mm-hmm. and I've always had, always had a business on the side. Mm-hmm. And I, I, have a, I love cars. And all that ties together like this. I was teaching, and I had a side business doing car work and stuff like that. And I'd go to auto shows, and I met... Um, I listened to a podcast and I, I met a new friend named Michael at a convention. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward, I ended up working with his wife for several years. Mm-hmm. And then Michael said, read this book. And I did. And it planted this seed in what, me. What was the book? The book was called Becoming Your Own Banker. Okay. By who? And the, the author is R. Period Nelson Nash. Okay. Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. And, and I read that book and a lot of things happened. Uh, this is probably five years ago. Okay. And, um, a lot of things happened. First of which, um, I was a little stunned. Mm-hmm. And the second of which, um, it fostered a little, uh, it fostered me to be a bit a inquisitorial and B, uh, frustrated. I might even use the word angry, but in, you know, mostly a polite sense, but I got Mm -hmm. a little upset if I'm honest with you, because the concepts that I learned from this book are not concepts that are widely taught at all. They should be, they Mm -hmm. should be taught in every high school. They should be taught in every basic finance class. They should be taught everywhere. Mm -hmm. And they are not. And the fact that I didn't learn about this until I was 41 uh, frustrated me. Mm-hmm. And that planted a seed inside of me uh, to that. Then, you know, you fast forward a couple of years and now I had no idea that I'd be talking about this all day, every day to anybody who would like to listen. And, um, and that's why I say it's nothing less than divine intervention. If I wouldn't have this little, you know, car hobby side hustle and met this guy, Michael, and then ended up working with his wife for years and years, I wouldn't be sitting here today and you look, I mean, he lives in Tennessee, right? It's just mm-hmm. this very uh, disjunct path about how I got there. Mm-hmm. And for me, it wasn't an accident. And 
and I continue to be very grateful for what is this sort of grassroots effort, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably get into that more and more as we go. Perfect. Perfect. So that's how you, that's how you got into the, you had the, you had the book becoming your own personal banker. You found out yep. some concepts. Um, so far we've uncovered that infinite banking is, has to do with cash flow. When you say cash flow, I think of Robert Kiyosaki and uh, rich dad, poor dad, which is a great book that I read. I'm sure you, you might be familiar with. And Absolutely. So, but, oh, I like that. I like that. So, but I still do not know what infinite banking is. I'm still confused, Pat. That's okay. very confused. Let's see if we can remedy some of that confusion. Well, thank God, goodness, I'm I'm I'm, I'm anxious, man. I'm excited. <laughs> Good. All right. So off we go. Infinite banking, as I mentioned, is a concept, not a product, and it's a concept about us taking control over the cash flow in our life for one and for two being able to leverage a pot of money and treat it as our own bank rather than having to go to third-party lenders for as many things or for anything um you know depending on a variety of situations i suppose time out so yeah sorry i'm sorry now i my wheels are turning a billion miles an hour okay So this is what I think it is so far. I think that you save a bunch of money, right? You you are your own bank. Then if you want to purchase something, you you go, you use, you extract money from that pot, you buy the thing, and then you pay yourself back with interest. You are you're getting close. Okay. Okay. You're on the right track. That's that's on the that's on the I'm on the right track now. Okay. That is I mean, honestly, that's pretty smart. I wouldn't have, I mean, I think you can, you can do things like that. I think you can borrow money. You could pull money out of, if you have like a Roth IRA, you can borrow money out of that and then pay yourself back interest. But I think this, this would um, take away from the taxes that you would pay by, by pulling that out of your retirement because you get penalized. So I've, I've, I've kind of grasped. I grasp a little bit of the concepts and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that popped into my head. So, so I'm on the right track. So, so we, so we, you've got your, so how do we, how do we get this giant pot to become the bank? So what we do is we leverage a very specific type of whole life insurance contract. Now I'm interested, sir. Okay. So what we do is we leverage a whole life insurance contract, whole life insurance contract with a mutual insurance company. Those pieces of information are critical. Not all insurance is created equal. Mm -hmm. Let's get that. Let's get that out of the way. Mm -hmm. Not all insurance is created equal. Most people don't understand it. Most people who sell insurance don't understand the majority of what they're selling, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, at least when it comes to life insurance. On the life insurance side, a lot of people don't understand all the ins and outs of what they're selling, uh, which is sad. And a lot mm-hmm. of people kind of get burned by that. Mm-hmm. And so when I say a specific type of whole life, it needs to be whole life, permanent life insurance, and it needs to be from a mutual insurance company. And if you don't know, a mutual insurance company means that policy holders anybody who has a life insurance contract with that company are part owners of the company versus a stock company that has a you know a big board of directors that profit from mm-hmm. the companies. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yes, I'm with you. So what happens is 
we design a contract on this whole life insurance chassis. Okay, we take a basic whole life insurance chassis, and not every insurer will allow us to, to do this. So we only work with a couple that give us, as infinite bankers, the freedom to build something that actually works as what, what we would like to call a banking policy, not just straight life insurance policy. We're building banking policies. And what that means is that you have a premium, which means a payment, a premium that goes into a policy. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. We will take the biggest chunk of that premium, and in most policies, the big chunk buys death benefit, and a small chunk goes to cash value. And the cash Mm -hmm. value is what builds up over time Mm -hmm. so that you could use it or take a loan against it to go buy yourself a thing or put a down payment on a house or whatever. Mm -hmm. In a banking policy, these are cash value heavy. They Mm -hmm. are lower death benefit, at least at first. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we take the majority of premium and we drive that to cash value. Mm-hmm. And then we have a smaller amount of premium purchasing death benefit. So okay. a couple of things happen. A couple of okay. things happen. All right, I'm first, of which, first of which, a banking policy for the amount of premium that goes in will look like it has lower death benefit. And it will have lower death benefit for the amount of money that's going in compared to other types of whole life insurance. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because we are driving as much money as the insurance company will allow us to drive. We are driving it straight to cash value, which literally means we are driving it to a holding tank. Mm-hmm. We're driving it to a holding tank, and that is critical. And it's, it is different than a savings account by far because in an insurance – let's talk a little bit about – this is related – Let's talk a little bit about financials, if I may. Well, please, please do. Please do. You, uh, I'm very interested right now. The insurance thing came the fuck out of left field, and I'm like, what? Okay, yeah. continue. Sorry. Here's why. Here's why. So um, an insurance company, they have a big pot of money. It's a pool of money, and they have to pay death benefits out of that or any other claims out of that at a moment's notice when mm-hmm. anything happens. That's their job. Okay. When you put your dollars in the insurance company's pool of money, they hold on to the actual dollars. It is Mm -hmm. backed up dollar for dollar. Every dollar that goes in is backed up by a real dollar that exists in real life on Mm -hmm. a ledger. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's not manufactured out of thin air. Like the Fed. Gotcha. (laughs) You see where I'm headed with this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Not like our traditional banking system with fiat money and the mm-hmm. Federal Reserve, which has nothing to do with federal anything. It's mm-hmm. a private bank. Oh, yeah. It, it, real little side note, it sounds like you may have dabbled in the – oh, man, what's the name of that book? Give me a second. The It's about J.P. Morgan Chase and the, form, the formation of the Federal Reserve. Um, the something at – the creature from something – John, pull that up. I'm sorry. It, uh, some, it's the creature from Jekyll Island, that's it. isn't it? Yeah, that's it, I believe. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I actually have not yet. Oh, dude, I, you have to read that book. Okay, I will. Yeah, continue. I'll, I'll make a note of it just now. Yeah. So anyway, what happens in your regular bank, you know, your credit union or your bank or whatever, is that every time you put a dollar in, the bank is legally allowed to loan that dollar back out to someone else and then earn interest on it for one and for two they're allowed to loan out nine more dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nine more that didn't exist. 
So if you go to your bank with a check for a thousand bucks, okay, you deposit a thousand dollars in your account, mm -hmm. the bank can turn around and take your one thousand dollars and lend it to anyone else that they wish, another yep. client. Fine. They also once that process is once your once your check goes through all of the computer system and gets backed up and cross checked with everything, they can go and lend out nine thousand mm -hmm. more dollars that didn't exist before. That's money that's not backed up by anything; it just exists on a mm -hmm. book. That's a problem. Yes, it's a problem for a lot of reasons. It causes a lot of inflation. So let's talk bigger numbers. We talked a thousand bucks, but who cares? Let's talk home mortgages, mm -hmm. right? Let's talk. Uh, you go, you go deposit a hundred thousand dollars. The bank can now loan yep. a million. You write, you know, you buy a home for, you put a mortgage on the book for a million bucks. They can loan mm -hmm. out ten. So that is not a sound money solution. That is not a sound money solution. And secondly, as long as we're on the topic of our local banks, let's talk about this. You are this. Most people don't know this, so I hope this helps some of your listeners understand how banking works. Most people assume. Uh, let's use the drive-through window because it's the best visual. Okay. Most people assume that you pull up your car to a drive, like a drive-up thing, and you pull out the little mm -hmm. tube, and you open the end, you put your stuff in the tube, you put it back, and the vacuum system sucks it up into the ceiling, and it goes across to the person at the, the desk, tower. and then they open it. Thank you, yeah. the teller. And they open it, and they put their hand in, and they take the check or the money mm -hmm. out. Yeah, Most people assume that when that happens, the bank is going to be the steward of their money until they need it back, either digitally or physically. Right? Yes. Fair enough? That is no longer the case. Really? Yeah, that's that changed. So in the crash of 08... Right in the 08 crash, we had a banking crisis. Mm -hmm. Banks were going under, left and right, and left and right, and sideways and upside down. It was bad. Many banks never mm -hmm. came back. A lot of banks were bailed out. And after that, say 20, I forgot the year, but 2011 ish, maybe 2012, somewhere in there, um, the government came up and they passed this thing called the Frank Dodd. That's hyphenated, Frank Dodd Act. Mm -hmm. uh, Dodd with three D's, D O D D. Frank Dodd Act, and what that said was banks will not be bailed out again. If we have another 08 crash or another banking crisis of any kind, banks will not be bailed out by the Thank federal government. Thank God. That will not okay, happen. Okay, good. Okay. So if you think about that, and I'm with you on that, on not personally, on a personal you, level, I'm dead need with to you. Fail. I'm yeah, not for the bailout. But <laughs> let's think about what happens. The Frank Dodd Act said they're not going to be bailed out. So instead of a bank being a steward of your money, you own it. They are being a steward of it. That was pre-Frank mm -hmm. Dodd. Now we live in a post-Frank Dodd era. In fact, we live in a post-Frank Dodd era by a decade, yep. and nobody really even understands what that means. Yep. Here's what. Here's one of the things that it means. It means that as soon as the teller takes the money from the little tube that got vacuumed up from your mm -hmm. car and went through the ceiling over to the teller's counter. As soon as the money pumps out of that and hits the counter, that is a legal change of ownership. That is a legal change of ownership. Now the bank owns the money and you have the first right to access it. If 
it can be Wait, available. Wait, what? Hold on. Dude, that's yeah. – I'm having a conniption fit right now. Yeah. So okay. are you fucking are you fucking it. serious? Okay. Yeah. Now tell me if I'm I'm and freaking out right now. Now tell me if I'm right. Does Jesus does that basically negate the FDIC, right? Because like does that negate that essentially? Like if if shit hits the fan and we all want to withdraw our money, does that technically mean because of this act that like you can't fu- they big hey f- we don't have it available it changed ownership you're fucked is that what that means is that what you're fucking telling me right now no way dude no way i hate i hate to be the bearer of that news holy yes, shit that is what's- <laughs> that is what's- i didn't know that I- nobody knows that it was all done very quietly it's all done I'm very sorry. quiet it's very hush hush yeah. And, and so I, so now you're beginning to understand a fraction. I mean, we haven't even scratched oh, no, the we're, surface. You're beginning to understand a fraction of what started to piss me off when I read this book, Becoming Your Own Banker. I started to learn this stuff. And then I got angry because I'm like, where the heck was this five years ago? Why did I not know this? Why is, why is everybody's money being owned by the bank with first right of access to a private citizen. Why is that the case? It's my money. I earned it. Wow. Well, lo and behold, is the ownership changed so that a bank could try to remain solvent effectively if in an emergency, right? And not go out of business. It's a survival no, mechanism I, for I the totally, bank to not go out of business in an emergency. Yeah, let's look, look, we're going to call pause. We're this we're going to just I have to talk right now. That is yeah, fucking it crazy i'm not surprised i think it's hilarious just because like the banks big banks big pharma they're all fucking evil right they, they also like it's it's a it's a very it's a very complex relationship that our society has with them like they they in the case of the instance of big pharma they do a lot of really good things right they 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 drive technology forward and especially in the medical industry and you know we just had a doctor on here they're doing some crazy thing with uh, nanotechnology and viruses it's it's amazing but they're also fucking terrible and they're a bunch of money grubbing assholes the big banks right you can't do shit like i mean if you think about the the credit system that we have in the united states it's completely illegal complete completely bullshit as well um, you look at all these, all these backdoor deals. And that's what, as soon as you said that, I'm like that, they, they, they probably have never liked the FDIC thing, right? They probably, they didn't like, they did, they don't like, they don't like that. A lot of these banks fail. And I've also been paying attention to a lot of, um, a lot of smaller banks getting involved in like medical marijuana and charging absorbent fees. And then it's a, it's a, but they're smaller banks they're they're forging these relationships. You look at some of the banks in Florida that were built off of cocaine money, right? A lot of those guys, wonder, they don't give a fuck, right? And it's just it's interesting that I'm not surprised, right? There's a conspiracy theorist type person in me, and when you said that, it's it's <laughs> funny to me. It shouldn't be, but I've read a lot of literature, as you could tell, on the financial um, sector because it's interesting. There's money. There's power. There's a little bit of, of, of politics, a lot of payoff, 
And something, some type of legislation like this would just get fucking swept under the rug. And then when the next thing happens and we're all fucked, it'd be, well, this was passed. We're totally, you know, and that's, you look at, I mean, how many instances do we have to look at what Wells Fargo was doing in, um, I don't know, like 10 years ago, they were opening up accounts um, fraudulently basically to get fucking money like this. This is the financial sector is ripe rife with all sorts of bad things. So I'm not surprised. I am blown away, dude. I am blown away by all of this. This is, this is, wow. Sorry, man. I had to to go off. This is crazy. This is crazy. Continue. Wow. All right. So let's talk a little bit. Mind you, we're not talking about infant no. banking, but we are. T- we, what we are talking about, we are talking about a motivation for considering infinite banking as a place to leverage yourself and your life and your money, because this is what's going on in the background of an institution that everybody's already using, and most people don't know what the heck. One hundred percent. I mean, well, this is one way, right? We thought crypto. We thought the crypto bros were going to decentralize everything, and now they're 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 that's being fucked, right? I mean, the, I mean, oh, the, coming, the the yeah. the. I mean, listen, I might, I love, I love the idea of cryptocurrency. I, I own some for sure. I think it's fun to play around. I'm not, I'm not a crypto bro by any means, but when the fed is like, fuck all of this and the banks are like, screw all of this, let's, let's raise like that's going to shit now too. So this is another yeah. solution to hedge yourself against what's coming because believe me, it's fucking coming. You know, there's, we're in a recession yeah. right now. And it's it's only going to get worse. Inflation's I don't know the last time we yeah. talked about it. It's pro- what, probably at eleven percent now. John, pull that up. Um, so sorry, dude. This is we might we're going to probably go a little bit longer. I'm sorry, Pat. This is this is good. This no, is it's good. Fine. There's yeah, a lot. This is good about. stuff. All right. So back on track. <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit. Since we're talking about banking, let's talk a little bit about FDIC okay, insurance. Yes, please do. So everyone thinks. Well, I'll put my money in the bank, and if the bank goes belly up, my FDIC insurance will mm-hmm. cover it. Well, what happened in the 08 crash with FDIC insurance? I, I couldn't tell you, actually. Mm, see, nobody knows. I, I'm, I mean, nobody I'm, knows I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, the FDIC, right, I'm pretty sure that they would have to, they would be obligated to insure. So I'm pretty sure no one got screwed in that regard. Are you going to tell me something different? Well, here's what happened. The FDIC is basically insurance. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a pool of money. When there's a legitimate, verifiable need from a bank or financial institution that they support or back up, they come in and make the consumer, us, whole again. That's their job. But in 08, they ran out of money. Like a million times over, which is why we had government mm. bailouts. We had government bailouts of banks because FDIC insurance took care of a very small fraction. And I really wish I knew the percentage of the of the sliver that FDIC insurance actually covered in the 08 crash because it is astonishingly small. I mean, it is very small. So, but now, now let's fast forward. We already talked about the Frank Dodd Act, which will not have a government bailout of a financial institution again, like happened before, won't happen mm-hmm. again. 
So now you rely on FDIC insurance Mm -hmm. and you rely on a bank holding their money to stay in Mm. business. FDIC insurance. And I, again, I really wish I knew the current number and I'd just be fully transparent. I don't, but the current number is astonishing. Like it is, uh, I freely admit this is not correct, but for the point of conversation, Mm. it is something similar to one to 40. Wow. Wow. That's not good. John, what were you going to say? Oh, uh, so inflation, the latest numbers that have been released were on the 11th for April. April inflation was uh, year over year, 8.3%. Um, but if it shows anything where we're going, I did see that uh, the United Kingdom for May, their rate of inflation was 9%, 9 flat. Wow. So back to the FDIC, the, you, you're saying that a very, very small percentage uh, was able to be yep. uh, reimbursed um, because yeah. of the bank's... Uh, and that hasn't really yeah, changed. No, okay. Well, that means it's a, it's a large commitment by the, the FDIC to even say that they can insure you up to $250,000. I'm, I'm going to assume that there's millions of people that be billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars that they just don't have. Right. And so that, right. that led to the United States government bailing out the bank. So that that promise was able to be kept to the people. Um, they said they passed another law yep. saying we're not doing that. Uh, now we get, what was, what was the act again? The Frank, Frank Dodd act was passed. All right. Everyone's good. But now when you give your dollars to the bank, it, it is changing ownership and it is now theirs. Yep. And if shit goes wrong and they get, if they go tits up, then they're going to keep your money so that they can survive. And that's where we are. Wow. Yep. Okay. I'm following you, dog. I've got you. You're, you're, yep. You got it. So, so. Whew, we've already covered a lot and we haven't even scratched the surface. So let's talk a little bit about infinite banking. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. that. Let's talk okay. about that. So we framed this conversation around a financial institution that everyone knows uses probably on a daily basis, mm-hmm. almost certainly a weekly basis. Right. And we framed this conversation around an institution that is not backed up in solvent money. Mm-hmm. They are, uh, ex- uh, they're exacerbating a problem by manufacturing money on ledgers Mm -hmm. legally. Mm -hmm. It's not illegal. They're doing it legally. It's just not very, it doesn't have high integrity is my point. And when you have your money in the bank, you you are allowed to have it if it's available. So now let's talk about why on earth would you leverage, leverage an insurance contract of all things? That's insane. Who would leverage an insurance contract? That's ridiculous. Well, let's talk about it. Let's do it. We have it now. We have let's 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 say we have a banking policy. That's what I built. We have banking policy, and we talked about before how those are high cash value for the amount of premium that goes in. And we're building this pool of money, and it's going to stay there and basically live inside of this insurance contract, similar to a savings account. It's going to sit there in this contract. Okay. Now most people would assume, well, hey, I have this effectively savings account, even though it's not, it kind of behaves like one in a sense. Um, I'm going to go make a withdrawal. Well, I'm going to sit here and say, that is not the best decision. Do not make a withdrawal. 
You're going to leave your money alone and you're not going to touch it. That's my mm -hmm. advice. My professional advice is don't touch it. Mm -hmm. Leave it. What you're going to do, uh, what I would recommend you would do is what I should say is to take a loan from the insurance company and put a lien against your mm -hmm. policy. Okay. And that does a couple of things. One, it gets your money safe in an insurance company, which is backed up dollar for dollar with mm -hmm. real money. The cash value, because we're using a mutual insurance mm -hmm. company that I mentioned before, the cash value will receive an annual dividend mm -hmm. from the insurance company based on their profit mm -hmm. margins. Now, you remember policyholders are part mm -hmm. owners. So when the insurance company does well financially, mm -hmm. part owners receive a piece of that dividend. Mm -hmm. That dividend is based on the amount of cash value you have in your mm -hmm. policy. Those come around annually. Mm -hmm. yep. So annually, you'll receive a dividend back from the insurance company. And we will take that dividend and we will roll it over into what's called a PUA, a paid up addition. Mm -hmm. And that's basically exactly like your insurance policy. It's just another sliver of it slapped onto the side. And when you do that, it's the same policy. It just grows a little bit. And the death benefit goes up. And the cash value inside your policy goes mm -hmm. up. That happens annually. Now let's go back to loans. Let's say, uh, I don't know. Let's say you've, built, you've been saving money in there for a while. You've capitalized your policy quite mm -hmm. well. And let's say you have, in your cash value side, let's say you have $50,000. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now let's say you want to take a $30,000 loan again. I would not, I do not recommend you touch your money. You take a, a loan from the insurance company, you put a lien against your policy for mm -hmm. 30 grand. Okay. Now you have $30,000 of the insurance company's money to go purchase whatever you mm -hmm. wish. My professional advice would be maybe go purchase something that appreciates mm -hmm. instead of yeah. depreciates. Let's say, let's, I mean, you can buy a car or toys or whatever, but you know, we have a lot of people right, right now that people often take policy loans for the things that they're the most passionate mm -hmm. about and the things they understand. So a lot of times it's real estate, bare land, rental property. A lot of people are taking loans for crypto right now, whatever. Everyone takes a loan for their thing, mm -hmm. right? It could be a variety of different things. You take a loan for that and then you go buy mm -hmm. it. From the seller's point of view, you bought it with cash. So you own it. You own it outright. Then, you have a lien to pay off with the insurance company. Liens with the insurance company are 100% un... This hurts people's heads, so just, just brace yourself. They're 100% unstructured. Unstructured loans. Unstructured loans. So let's talk about a structured loan. A structured loan is when you go to your bank and you get a car loan... You have a contract, and the contract says it's X amount of months for X amount of dollars, and if you don't make those payments, the bank gets grumpy, and if they get really, really grumpy, they're going to take the mm -hmm. thing away, right? Well, over here in insurance land, they are unstructured payments, which means you pay it back on your terms. You pay it back when you wish. You have full control, 100% control over the repayment process. You choose how you're going to repay it back. You choose your monthly payment. You choose your annual payment. 
you choose to not pay it back for a couple of years because you need the thing you just bought to start cash mm-hmm. flowing. And once the thing you just bought starts cash flowing, then you use the cash flow to pay the loan back and you let it sit. You choose it unstructured, your control. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. A huge deal. Liquidity, use, and control. My, meanwhile, don't forget, the dollar that you put into your insurance contract and your banking policy, the dollar that lives over there, is still sitting there. It is holding this whole structure down, and it's getting annual dividends, and it's earning, and the thing that you just bought, hopefully, will be earning you some kind of money through appreciation, or maybe you started a business, and now it's going to start cash flowing. Whatever that looks like for you is private business. But now your dollar is doing more than one thing. That's the point. Your dollar is doing more than one thing at a time. It's getting dividends from the insurance company, and it's holding down a placeholder for a lien Mm -hmm. to go out and appreciate or cash flow or whatever Mm -hmm. you wish. Doing more than one thing at a time. Okay? Now you're going to have this loan out. Like I said, it's an unstructured loan, which means you pay it back on your Mm -hmm. terms. Your terms, your timeline, your whatever. And yes, you're going to charge yourself Mm -hmm. interest. If you're going to be the bank, you need to be an honest banker. Anything else is, anything else, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. So you charge yourself some interest. Look at fair market value for the type of loan Mm -hmm. that you took out. Charge yourself that or maybe even a little extra. Mm -hmm. Effectively, what you're going to do. Why wouldn't you charge yourself extra? Exactly. So what you're going to do is you're going to, Make these payments back to the insurance company. You're going to charge yourself some interest. And effectively, you're going to repay that loan that you structured under your terms. You're going to repay it a little early. Then you're going to take the leftover amount of money of payments that you would have made would have made had you not paid it off early. You're going to take that amount of money and you're going to roll that over to PUAs mm-hmm. again. So your insurance policy death benefit is going to go up and the cash value in your policy is going to go mm-hmm. up. I'm with you 100%, dude. Every time you take a loan and pay it back, your policy grows. This is not a one-time thing. You use it like a bank for your whole life. Fuck, dude. How do we get started with this? Does this make any sense Oh, no, I'm 100% invested in understanding. How do you start? Unfortunately, unfortunately, Nelson, the fellow who created Mm -hmm. this idea in the late 80s, passed away just as I was getting into this Mm -hmm. business. And so I never got a chance to Mm -hmm. shake his hand. May he rest in peace. However, I can't help but wonder, and if any infant bankers ever listen to this, they'll probably chime in. But uh, I can't help but wonder if this is why Nelson called it the infinite banking concept. Because on one hand, you have a circle over here with annual dividends coming back Mm -hmm. in a circle. And on the other hand, you have a a circle right next to it with banking functions. You take a loan, you repay Mm -hmm. it. You take a loan or you repay it. And both of them cause your policy to grow. Effectively, you could draw a pretty nice little infinity symbol Mm -hmm. with that. I don't know if that's what he was thinking. But in my head, that's what I see. That's the vision I see when this is working really Mm -hmm. well. You have this insurance contract as an asset for living benefits. We believe that living benefits are more important than a death benefit. We also believe a death benefit is very important, but using it while you're alive and still here on earth to Mm -hmm. do that maybe is more Mm -hmm. important. We believe that it's a little more important. So we build these for living Mm -hmm. benefits. Mm -hmm. And not to mention you could take out an insurance policy 
if you were super concerned about your death penalty for your family, you could you could do that as well on on the side, right? Yeah. So you could have you could have that piece covered. Plus, you could have even more of a piece covered with the infinite banking system. I'm with yeah. you. Yep. So the idea with infinite banking is so this go here's my original premise. The idea with infinite banking is that it's a cash flow mm-hmm. concept. It's a cash flow concept about you taking control over the cash flow in your life and you becoming the banker in your own life, not only to have the control of that money, right, and how it flows through your life, but also to have the control over unstructured repayments. You pay it back on your terms and to have the control over growing your policies, death benefit, the cash value inside of it. It puts you in the driver's seat financially. Mm -hmm. Because you end up controlling everything yourself. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So what happens if you've been using the infinite banking system for 30 years, you know, you're 67. um, How big of a policy can I get? Could I start off with like a quarter of a million dollars, you know, 200,000 in the living part of infinite banking and 50,000 in the death benefit benefit portion like how do, how how do you structure these and what is it what yeah. is it what is the startup cost to 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 begin this that's a good question <clears throat> so here's kind of what this looks like we are still dealing in the realm of insurance mm-hmm. right and so what that looks like is <clears throat> it depends on age and health and you know family background and genetics and all this other stuff as to where an underwriter might place you for amount of premium being Mm -hmm. charged to purchase a certain type of death Mm -hmm. benefit. The illustrations that we write, we write them for banking. What the insurance company is going to look at is, are you insurable for the amount of money that we wrote in our illustrations? And we base that on what a client wishes to see, what they wish to be putting in. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So we work with a client and they tell us, look, we can afford this and we can afford that. And I will build a policy with a target dollar amount at what they said Mm -hmm. they can afford. And then I will also build it so it could swing up a little bit. The policy could soak up a little more Mm -hmm. money than what they said they could afford should their financial situation improve Mm -hmm. over time. It could suck up a little more before we cross this thing called a mech Mm -hmm. line. What is a mech line? Are you, do you feel like you're ready for another I'm story? Ready. Okay, here's here's the deal with the neckline. Uh, in the late 70s, 80s, there was a, another financial crisis, and a market correction, and interest rates were through the roof. And you know, you guys are you guys are young, but I remember um, family. It wasn't me, but I remember family members getting house, you know, getting mortgages. And they were really happy that their, um, they were really happy that their uh, interest rate was thirteen percent because their neighbor got a fifteen percent like the week before. Mm-hmm. They were ecstatic at thirteen, and it was a big pro- it was a huge problem. And so the government's sitting over here saying, "Well, we need to prop the stock market up. We need to get you know get this thing going again." And obviously, it was quickly pointed out that the government's not allowed to invest in the stock market. That's Mm -hmm. illegal. And so then they're like, well, wait a minute. How can we get money in the stock market? So they thought and thought and thought and thought. And 
which is a nice way of saying the word scheme, <laughs> but I'm just going to say thought. Yeah. And they thought, and they said, bingo, we've got it. We have an idea. Let's incentivize an employer to have an employee put some of their money in the stock market through this thing called a qualified plan. Now, we're all familiar with qualified plans. Those are your 401ks and your 403bs and your 40. Pick a letter and pick a number based on the type of job that you do, right? All those qualified plans, those are all government partnerships. They are a government idea. And the idea was we're going to invest our personal money from our paycheck. We're going to do it into the stock market. We're going to do it for 20, 30, 40 years, depending on how long we work. <clears throat> and that money is going to help prop up the stock market. And it mm-hmm. did. But here's the problem. Uh, oh, that's a loaded statement. Here's one of the okay. problems. That's what I should have said. Here's one of the problems. Prior to that, we had a society that very, not always, but very commonly said, I'm going to work for 30 years for the same company. I'm going to get a gold watch and I'm going to have, I'm going to have a company pension and then I'm going to retire on that company pension. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now we're moving over in the eighties. We're moving over to qualified plans. It's all the rage and they're going to be managed by a third party Mm -hmm. manager. Well, who cares? We should care. We should care a lot about that. The risk, all the risk of an individual's retirement is now put on the employee. I'm responsible to make sure that my money is getting managed. I'm responsible for what's going on, even though I probably, not always, but probably don't have any formal training in that or how to manage or to do anything like it. It's still my job to make sure that it's going to be okay. And I'm going to hire a third-party person to manage it for me. But those guys are going to charge management fees and point drag and all kinds of stuff. It's very expensive. But the consumer doesn't really know any difference. They just say, my employer is going to match my money, so I'm going to take their free money. So let's say an employee puts in 3%, an employer does a match, and all that money goes into the stock market and these 401ks or other qualified plan until retirement. Well, what just happened? They didn't invest their own money only. Yeah. Whose money, whose money did they invest? Invested the companies as well. And? Uh, I got the company, the person, and then you have uh, the, the, the only other party that was listed was uh, the person that was operating it. The financial advisor. And? Yep. And the government. Where did the, where did the government come from? I'm lost there. The government came in because all this money went to your qualified yeah. plan. Pre-tax. Oh fuck! Okay, 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 okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yes, and they're gonna they're gonna come for their. They they're gonna come from there. They're gonna come from come for theirs when you retire. You're right. With you. So, they all that money goes into qualified plans pre-tax, and it sits there forever and ever, being used by all kinds mm-hmm. of people for their profit while it sits there, and you'll get some gains, and then. You get to retire and you take an income and that's when you pay tax. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just from a common sense perspective, would you rather pay tax on the seed or would you rather pay tax on the harvest? Would you rather pay tax on a the bucket harvest, of seeds baby. or would you rather pay tax on 
20 truckloads yes. of corn. Yes, I will counter that, though. You can set your retirement up to where it gets taxed going in, which is what I do, because I would much rather than being be, being taxed at a lower rate when, let's say, it appre- that your investment appreciates to a few million dollars and you're going to have to you're going to have a giant tax bill. So if you're listening, please set up your 401ks or whatever for this reason. Continue. So, yeah. For sure. That's 100 percent true. But a lot of people don't. They don't have, know that. Don't they do don't it. know that. Yeah. Correct. A lot of people don't. And even if you are putting it in a quali- it's still a qualified plan, even if you've paid taxes on it, which means you can't touch it. You can't take a loan against it. If you do, it's, it's very yeah, expensive. You got to take it out. You can you can only withdraw a certain amount of money, right? You can only withdraw like ten thousand yeah. dollars. You could borrow against it. It's not it's not ideal. It's not liquid. So I'm with you. Yeah. So. That's what happened. Now, during this time, an insurance company took out a full-page ad in the, in the New York Times, and they said, if you want to, I can't quote it, but closely paraphrase, if you want to have tax-free, tax-free retirement and you want to have tax-free income and tax-free this and invest your money tax-free and beat the IRS and tax-free this and whatever, call us. And then the IRS is sitting over here being like, wait, what? That's, you can't use the word tax-free that many times. Like, that's mm-hmm. not cool. So they rang up the insurance company, and they said, tell us more about your advertisement. And they said, well, there's you can leverage your money and put it in a whole life insurance contract. And that was back in the day. There was not a lot of rules. So literally, you could strike a check for a million bucks. You could do what we call a one-pay policy, mm-hmm. which is a million-dollar policy paid up in full on day one. And then you can have all of that money liquid to take a loan against and still get dividends on it. For the rest of your life on like on day two the government's like wait a minute we're not getting a piece of that we can't that's too much that's too much mm-hmm. prosperity we have to have a piece of that i like your disdain for the mm. government sir <laughs> oh, you, the scariest the scariest words on the english language are were from the government we're yeah. here to oh my god dude you and i just became good friends right with that statement right okay. there Those the scariest yeah words they're, they're, the they're yeah we we have this we're going to take care of you we're going to make sure you're safe and uh, they, i mean they're the only people on the planet that have a, a monopoly on violence dude keep right and then they are also the they are also some of the only people who create a problem and then come in behind the problem with a solution to the problem mm-hmm. they created and then call themselves. They get the fucking hero. rich off of all these, all these, like you look at Nancy Pelosi, all these, everyone in the Congress and stuff is worth hundreds of millions of dollars and they get all these yeah. backdoor deals. They're, you know, paid yeah. half a million dollars to go speak when their careers are over. Hey, I'm not hating. I'd do the yeah. same shit if I was in the government. Like, I'd be corrupt as fuck. Sure. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not, I've told you guys this multiple times on the podcast. <laughs> Don't ever vote for me. Don't ever vote for me. I'll be a dictator. I'll be a benevolent dictator. It'd be awful. Uh, the only difference you might have is that you're transparent yeah. about it. And that gains I would tell respect. you. Yes. <laughs> So we have this situation where the IRS is like, wait a minute, like that's too much prosperity. So now we're going to have rules. Okay. So now there's this thing called a mech line. And the mech line is this line that if you drive in too much money too quickly, it doesn't say you can't drive in a lot. It just says if you drive it in too much too fast, it's going to cross this threshold called a mech line. MEC stands for Modified Endowment Contract. Okay. If we feed it too much money too fast, means we don't keep certain parameters in balance, 
it becomes what we like to say mecked out. It mechs out. It crosses this mech line. Once it crosses the mech line, it can never come back. It is. It gets slapped and punished with this pretty significant set of rules, mm. and it is now a mecked out policy. It's done. It's still usable, mm. but it's not nearly as functional or have as many great living benefits, or you don't have as much. Yeah, control. they did this to ensure that people weren't stashing their money away from the government, so that they 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 wanted right. to get taxed. Okay, Correct. so this makes sense. I'm with you. Correct. Right. So guess which set of rules they put on your insurance contract if it were to cross the MEC line? Um, it's now taxable. They, It's not 100% identical, but they nearly copy and paste mm-hmm. all of the rules oh, from the government qualified plans. All of the government qualified plans, all your 401ks and all the no, rules. It's no longer liquid anymore, essentially. Okay. Yeah. They take all those rules and are like, ah, we got to put these rules on your insurance policy because it mecked yeah. out. So this goes back to your question in saying, how much money can I put in? And what does mm-hmm. that look like? We can put in a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with writing big insurance policies. We just can only drive in so much money so fast. We can also put in what we call front-loaded money. The government allows us to do front-loaded money, and it depends a lot on, again, underwriting and age and whatever. We can only front-load so much. But in some cases, we can front-load up to not nine or ten times the first year's premium. Oh. So, you know, so if you're doing just for math, if you're doing a thousand bucks a month, that's twelve thousand a year. If in certain cases we might be able to front-load that. Mm-hmm. By one hundred twenty thousand dollars, or you know, one hundred ten, hundred mm-hmm. grand, we could do a front load, and that obviously speeds up the mm-hmm. compounding a ton because yeah. you're starting out of the gate with a large amount. So of you cash. have to fund this, right? This is what we talked about. So you, you need to fund. You need to you. So you could you could do one hundred twenty thousand dollar policy, or two hundred. You could get up to as much as you want. And once you've funded your insurance, it's backed up by yeah. insurance. And then you can now use that money in the way that you deem fit. You can go out and buy a, a duplex, right? And then start cash flowing that way and then pay yourself back with Correct. your tenants. So it's just a matter – it's pretty simple. You need you need someone to write a policy. You need to fund the policy. You can front load that policy. Um, once it's completely up and funded, then you are free to cash flow. Then you essentially become your own bank and you can pay because it's a loan to yourself. It's unstructured. You can pay yourself back when you see fit. You, you make sure that there's interest and that's how you continue. When you die or if you get sick, you can also withdraw that money because unlike a, a you, you believe in life first, you would now have a nest egg that you need. I'm, I'm certain that people fund the, their retirements with things like this. Um, so that it's it's yep. you're not backed by the, the the stock market. It is something that you funded. Um, you know, th- it gets a little squirrely in that um, rise because you know for a while I was in the stock market. I was at twenty. I was gaining twenty six percent year over year. Now I'm getting fucked, but you know, so is everyone else. So <laughs> there's that, right? right. So y- you definitely want to be aggressive in your funding because there's not an interest. You're not your money. I don't understand. Well, no, no, no. That's not that's not true because you also explained that you get dividends from the insurance company. So you need to be wise in which insurance company you select. So you're getting dividends to grow 
So it's, it's growing as well. What kind of dividends would one be looking at? Um, let's say the stars line, you have a very successful insurance company. What kind of dividends can one expect um, if they're going to be using something like this uh, from a retirement standpoint? That's a great question. <clears throat> um, your dividends will vary a bit based on a lot of factors to what the economy is doing and whatever. These low interest rates we've had for a long time have had a, a big toll on our dividends. Down, but it, 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 downward trending in, or upward trending? I would assume downward. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. But th- that's changing. No, yeah, <laughs> that's changing. I got you. I got it you. It is. I, I expect that we may see some of this some of these dividends rise in our benefit, even though the interest rates are rising to other people's chagrin. So, but it's not uncommon where we are able to get four and a half or four and three quarters percent, maybe close to 5% Mm -hmm. on these annual dividends. And if you think about that, that is not a sexy number. It is not, it is absolutely not. And no one here is saying that it, well, I'm telling you it's not, it is not a sexy number. However, however, when I can sit here as an infinite banker and I can say, look, I can guarantee in this contract that this thing is going to behave this Mm -hmm. way. I can guarantee it in black and white. There are two sides to your dividends. There's two types of dividends. One type is guaranteed and the other type is non-guaranteed. And some people, some listeners just said, oh, wait a minute, that's the rub. There's Mm -hmm. the catch. And I don't fault them for that because that's what I thought the first time well, I heard I that I would too. say guaranteed would probably be a lower percentage and a variable would be depending on what the interest rates are doing. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it varies based on the profitability, profitability of the company. Yeah. Right. I like, so the more profitable they are, I like risk the more. So I would probably do the variable one. Well, but insurance contracts, they okay. have both. There is a guaranteed oh. and there is a non-guaranteed. Okay. okay. Sweet. It just is that way. It just is that way. And so people are like, oh, well, you know, he's talking about this four and a half or you know, four and three quarters, five percent or whatever. Fine. However, that's the catch. But we leverage, well, I leverage one insurance company primarily. I run 95% of policies through mm-hmm. one company. This company has a history of paying both dividends guaranteed of course because it's contractual and the non-guaranteed they have a history of doing that every single year consecutively not skipping anything for over a century mm-hmm. so when i say it's highly likely it's it could be a legal issue if i were to say it's 100 yeah. percent, but it's 99.9 percent mm-hmm. likely that they're going to pay guaranteed and non-guaranteed because they've done it for a hundred years, mm-hmm. I, that's a, that's a, this is amazing. I look at this. I'm very intrigued. Definitely something I'm going to take advantage of. Right? I think it's 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 a great tool. I d- I also like the stock market. I like crypto. I think I would. I don't know if I'd put all of my eggs in this basket. But as far as using your money and borrowing against yourself and not using a bank. I really like this idea. The thing is, is this is something I wish I would have found out about this when I was 20 years old. Like that would have been nice. Right. Um, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm finding out about, I'm finding out about it now and I'm thankful for that. And I think that this is a definite, a great tool for people to use. And I, now that you mentioned, I do believe that, uh, that Tony Robbins uh, had a section in his book, um, 
I, I can't remember. John, we pull up Tony Robbins' finance book uh, that that alluded to something like this uh, w- with how to uh, use insurance. But this is de- it's a, such a valuable tool, man. I'm I'm kind of upset that I didn't know about the John. Go ahead. Is it uh, money? Money master, master the, the game. game. Yeah, I believe he he had a little a quick little uh, excerpt about that in in his book. Um, but man, this is it's a very valuable tool. It's very interesting. It just the, the only issue is it's it it's time. It's going to take time. Like it would take time to build something like this up. If you were an individual, if you're a high net worth individual, something you could get rolling on this very, very quickly, fund a very large portion of cash, you know, in two, three years, and then use that to cash flow. But um, if you don't have a lot of money, this is something that would take time. You know, I, I, I look at this and I don't, I don't necessarily love it for retirement. I love it for the investment opportunities that it provides. Right. I like the idea of leveraging that. I like the idea that if you're buying a property and something pops up and you, oh shit, like I, I need to just hold off on paying myself back for a second, I need to get this fixed, or you're flipping houses. Like I like that idea. I think that that's super cool. Um, but it's, it just, this something like this would take time. I don't know if I would necessarily see the Ben, I'm going to do it, but <laughs> I don't know if I would see the, the, the benefits. In, I think you'd see the, the the maximum benefits in like ten ten to fifteen years, and as opposed to like in like six months, if you had a great idea. We often have we often have people say that, and you're right in saying that more cash flow um, into your policy capitalizes it faster. Absolutely, mm-hmm. we do build policies that are relatively small to get people mm-hmm. started because building a good foundation even if it's a small one, is better than not having a foundation. Yeah, 100%. Another thing that I comes to mind, <clears throat> another thing that comes to mind is that people might have heard me talk and they might have said, well, he's pro-infinite banking and he's pro-leveraging an insurance contact contract. He's probably anti-everything else. And so I would just like to clarify, I'm not, well, I am sort of anti-government. But... <laughs> but but I'm not anti anything else. I, what I do like to teach my clients, though, is that it is great. It makes a lot of sense financially and ethically to build a rock solid contract in cement. Start with financial mm-hmm. cement and begin to capitalize it, and then start taking loans out for your higher risk. Yes, I'm not anti stock market, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Capitalize your policy so you are dead locked in, guaranteed dollar for dollar. That's not going to go anywhere, and you're yeah. safe. And then take on yes. some risks. Yes, that's and that's what I see. It's it, I feel like this is a great tool. I don't think that there's an end all, be all for anything. The thing is, when you no. get rich, and this is the one thing that I love about rich people, and a lot of people shit on rich people. Like number one, they don't pay taxes, and that's that is that's not a knock on them. It's just cheaper for them to hire an accountant and a lawyer to get out of them. Number two, they also invest capital and fund ideas and, and bring people up. The, the good ones. And that's why some of them don't pay taxes. If you're just going to sit back and collect money, go fuck yourself. You're not helping the economy, right? You're not helping the people, right? Number two, they also leave a lot of interesting information like infinite banking, like, you know, the money master of the game, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad. They leave a lot of breadcrumbs, a lot of information out there on how you can be successful and how you can be rich. 
And, you know, if you're just going to, if you're the type of person that's just going to sit on the fucking couch, play video games, and not understand that money, it is, I was going to say money is real. It's, it's kind of fake. It's a fiat, but like it, it buys things, buys happiness. You, you, you people get the point, right? And you're not going to read these books and, and, and become financially literate. Like you don't have a fucking chance, man. Cause like the way this system is set up is there's so many loopholes that people will tell you about. It's up to you to utilize those loopholes. Uh, a really wise man, an old guy on his deathbed, once told me, it, you can create a financial paradise. Be careful with your finance. You can create a financial paradise for you and your family and other generations. And he goes, but if you mess that up, this life will be hell for you. And I really do think that there's a lot of truth in that, right? Money doesn't buy happiness. It buys options. Options make you happy. This is a great option for people to explore. And where where can people learn more about this concept? Do you have a website? Do you have, uh, we've already suggested the books, but like what, like let's, let's get it all out there. Yeah, for sure. I do. Um, I do. The easiest way to, the easiest way to get information and, to get a hold of me, but the easiest way to get good information that I know is accurate is to, is to text the word bank. Text the word bank, B A N K, text it to this phone number 321 421 5213. Text the word bank 321 421 5213. Perfect. That will send you my digital business card. And on that is a link to the website. There's a button where you can buy Nelson's book. I'm selling those at cost, by the way. I don't profit one penny from selling Nelson's book. This information has to get out. Yeah. It has to. It's too important. It definitely is important. And so, and we've had a problem in the industry. Unfortunately, we've had a problem. There have been... um, Uh, there have been some scoundrels who have taken Nelson's book, taken removed part of it, rewritten it, and put it back on Amazon as Nelson's book, but it's actually their words. And so some of the books on Amazon that say they're Nelson's have been altered. Um, we are, as an industry, we are chasing that down. We have lawyers involved, but it is, that's a slow process. And so part of the reason I'm selling these at cost is to encourage people to buy them at my website because I won't profit from it. Every penny that's on my website is what it costs me to get it to that to the person who's going to buy it. And if they buy it from my site, I know they're going to get the correct yep, one. Yep, understand, man. Understand. You got to have uh, full accountability for these things. Um, well, listen, Pat, this has been eye opening. Uh, I'm definitely interested. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk uh, after that. I've got your contact information. So we'll, 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 you'll be hearing from me shortly. I think that this is a, a, it's a great idea. It's a, gr- it's a great tool. It's a great thing to add to your financial portfolio. Financial literacy yeah. is a very, very important thing. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your message, man. Absolutely. I, I, I really, uh, Thank you very much for oh. having me. It was nice. it was nice to connect with um, with people who are like minded, yeah. and it's nice to be able to to share this. I really feel like I I really feel like this message is uh, I have a moral obligation mm-hmm. to share it with anybody who wants to know, and nobody has to. I'm not forcing mm-hmm. on anybody, but anybody who wants to know, like this is important enough that I have to tell people, and I just I I really respect and appreciate you letting me 
be on your platform. Oh, yeah, today. anytime, man. Anytime. Well, folks, uh, you heard it here first. We're all getting hosed slowly by the banks. Uh, that's not a surprise, though. Um, if you're still here with us, give us five stars on iTunes. That uh, helps the show grow and really helps uh, our engagement. Also, be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We also have a Clips channel, uh, Rick's Mind Podcast Clips. So go ahead and subscribe there if you want a smaller dosage of the of the pod. And uh, guess what? We'll talk to you guys next week. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Peace.